Our guest in this first hour is a reporter and anchor for Al Jazeera America. They are the U.S. cable news channel that cover both domestic and international news, and they can be seen around the United States on Comcast Channel 107, Time Warner Cable, AT&T, U-verse Channel 1219, Verizon Fios Channel 614, DirecTV Channel 347, and Dish Channel 215. John Tourette's a reporter and anchor for them. More than a pleasure to have him with us. Hey, John, Happy New Year. Good afternoon. Terrett. Hi, John. Terrett. How you doing? Good afternoon. Crew and your listeners as well. Hello. Hello. Oh, my best friends, uh, British, love to hear that accent, John. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I am from Boston, Massachusetts, (laughs) and I have to chuckle almost when people say, we need to move this trial out of Boston. And I say, if you move it anywhere in Massachusetts, I've got to be honest as a Massachusetts in. (laughs) Yeah. this guy is not going to get a fair trial in that state. And I, I'm, be, I, I'm not saying that he you know, really deserves one, but, but that is the law. He is an American, and that is what uh, he uh, deserves, uh, even if we don't feel he is deserving of it, because he certainly has been found guilty in the court of public opinion. Well, that's um, but, right. I mean, but, it is enormously difficult, isn't it? And Boston, I think, is a city right now, as you know better than anybody, that kind of wants this trial to start and at the same time wants it to be over as quickly as possible. And as we know, that ain't going to happen because it's a very, very long and drawn-out process. Now, the defense have tried very, very hard lobbying the judge on multiple occasions to try and get this trial. Well, two things that they wanted, actually. One was to get the trial start delayed because they want more time to read the documentation that's been put forward by the prosecution. They claim they haven't had enough time to do that properly, so they're already at a disadvantage. And the other thing they wanted was to move the trial away from Boston for exactly the reason that you cite, you know, which is that he can't, they say, get a fair trial in Boston. And they cite as the best example of that, the trial of Tim McVeigh, who, as you know, was the Oklahoma City bomber. Now, his trial came up in 1997, and it wasn't held in Oklahoma City, nor in the state anywhere. It was moved to Denver, Colorado. Now, as you know, that didn't actually do Tim McVeigh any good because he was convicted and was later put to death. But that is the best example from 1997. But the judge, his name is George O'Toole. He's apparently a very, very nice, very fair-minded judge, according to lawyers who I've been speaking to who have worked with him and presented cases before him in the past. But he was having none of this, and he rejected all the pleas from the defense. And so yesterday the trial formally opened down by the harborside in Boston, but it was only the first day of jury selection. And, you know, we can talk about that if you like. It's going to be a very, very long, drawn-out process to even get to opening arguments. I do want to talk about that because one of the things that I had heard uh, not only from, you know, people in my family and checking the reports out of Boston is that, you know, people have been called or, or like, you know, hoping and praying to God that they don't get selected for this jury. There are right, people that right. not only don't want to be on the jury, they don't want to look at him or be in the same room as him. But yeah. there are people who are really concerned about the five or six months that it will take for this uh, trial to come to go on. Yeah, three or four months, maybe five months for the trial itself, and probably three to six weeks before we even get to the beginning of opening arguments, because they, what they've done in Boston is that they've pulled together an absolutely enormous jury pool, and it was even bigger than I thought. I mean, when we were reporting on this on Monday, we thought that the jury pool, or over the weekend building up to it, we thought the jury pool was going to be 1,200, and then 
as far as I was concerned anyway, other reporters may know differently to me, but out, out of the blue for me, it suddenly became clear that actually the jury pool was a whopping 3,000 people. That's a huge jury pool, I mean, way bigger than you would normally get for a trial like this. And so they've gone out of their way to get as many people as they possibly can involved. And what they were doing yesterday, just so you understand, is bringing people into the courtroom in groups of 200. I mean, again, oh my God. these are unheard of numbers. You know, 200 yeah. people were being asked questions. I, I assume they've all filled out forms in the immediate past. And they're not even going to begin the whittling down process to 1,200 until Wednesday. But, I mean, you know, the, uh, what can you say about this? I mean, the, the, the problem is, can you find 12 good men and true plus six alternates who can give this guy an honest trial, because we have to do that. That's what makes us better than the Tsarnaevs and the crimes that they are accused of. So we have to try and do that. And I think talking to lawyers and things in Boston and people who've worked with this judge before, I think it is possible. Out of 3,000 people, you ought to be able to find 12 people who can do this job. Because, you know, believe it or not, not everybody listens to radio the whole time and watches 24-hour cable news and stuff like that. They really don't. Uh, and I think there are enough people out there who will have known that there was a bombing, an incident in Boston, but don't really know much more than that, and that they will be decent people as well. So you will get a jury, and so he will get a fair trial uh, as best we can, we can do for him. And, but it's going to be many weeks long. We're going to take a quick break, and we will come back with uh, John Tourette. He's a reporter and anchor for Al Jazeera America the U.S. cable news channel that covers both domestic and international news. If you want to add uh, to the uh, comment, Tarrett, I keep saying it wrong. It's, I, I keep saying Tourette like Tourette's in her own, right? Uh, John Tarrett, my apologies, John. We'll be back talking about the marathon bombing trial in Massachusetts, uh, the attorney that is representing him, and uh, whether the death penalty uh, will be hanging in the balance for Sarnia. Back after this. John Terrence, our guest reporter and anchor for Al Jazeera America. I'm Leslie Marshall. Welcome or welcome back, John. Thank you for holding and welcome back as well. Uh, talking more Thank about you. the marathon bombing uh, trial in uh, Massachusetts. Um, do the people of Boston and, and, and people of Massachusetts, I'm one of them, but you're covering this and you're talking to these folks. Are they telling you that they honestly don't feel that they could be an impartial member of that jury if they were called? Well, I think a lot of people don't want to do jury service anyway, full stop, and I don't think they want to do it for this trial. I mean, yeah, basically that's the line you hear, that they feel that this guy is guilty and that they would have a hard time getting past that. But as I say, it is the opinion of the lawyers that they can find out of that 3,000 people, 12 individuals and six alternates who don't take that view. And I think that's probably right. Those statistics seem right to me. And, of course, it is important to give the guy a fair trial because that's what we do in the United States. That's what we do in civilized countries around the world, of course. Uh, the death penalty. A lot of people feel, you know, that, you know, the court of public opinion that he's guilty, and that is, as a terrorist, what should happen to you. Then again, uh, in Massachusetts... There is no death penalty, if I'm correct. Uh, in Massachusetts, there are many anti-death penalty people. It's pretty much a very blue state, despite the last election. And uh, on top of it, the defense attorney with Sarnayev has not only a long history with high-profile cases, but she has a passion and is very, very, very uh, much against the death penalty and has been successful yeah. in, in having the death penalty taken off the table for some clients in the past. Susan Smith is one, as an example. Yeah, that's Judy Clark. Now... 
she's part of this defense team which has been got together on his behalf. And her passion against the death penalty is palpable. And she has a history, a legacy in her career of saving other very, very high-profile clients from the death penalty. And two that spring to mind immediately include the Unabomber, who was Ted Kaczynski, of course, and the Olympic Park bomber in Atlanta, Georgia, Eric Rudolph. So she has stopped those two clients from going to the gallows in any way. And she intends to try and do the same for the youngest Zarnayev, Jokar. Now, my understanding is that once this trial gets past opening arguments and then we move on to the testimony phase, which is still, I stress again, a good three... I don't think we're looking for testimony to begin until... I think the judge, actually, George O'Toole, did say yesterday that he's looking for a date very much in late January. I can't remember what the date was now, but it's like the 27th or the 28th or something like that. But I, I think it's going to be probably the early part of February before we actually get down to hearing testimony. And my understanding is that once they go through the trial, expected to take three, four, maybe five months... There will then be a verdict at the end, but then there will be a separate hearing to decide whether or not Shokhar Zarnayev is put to death or not. And everybody, as you quite rightly say, assumes that Massachusetts is a very liberal state with a very liberal sort of outlook on life generally, and that therefore he probably, in the final analysis, won't be put to death. But there are instances in the past where people have been put to death as a result of crimes in Massachusetts. So he is absolutely not safe. And, of course, this is a federal trial. So we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, I think most people, when you talk to them in Boston, I have to say a lot of people think that that would be the best thing for him. But it's not for me to say. We're going to have to leave it to the jury and the judge. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, are we, you know, what? what is, his defense team has to come up with a defense. Are they going to yeah. say he, you know, what is the defense, what is strategy going to be that we know thus far? Well, the thing is to his accusers, of which there are many, 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 many people, obviously, uh, Jokar Zarnayev is the guy who has not only been brought up before the bench for this crime, he's also confessed to it. Because if you remember on that Friday night in Watertown when he was finally tracked down in that boat, he had written a note explaining why he and his brother Tamerlan had done it. And that note basically said, you know, if you attack one, we, we Muslims are, it's, I think it's from memory, it said, we Muslims are one body, you hurt one of us you hurt all of us, or something like that. And so people who say that he is guilty point to that as a confession. And also the fact that there is video, plenty of security video, that certainly, I mean, it's, one has to be careful, but it, it seems on the face of it there's very little doubt that it's him placing a backpack very, very close to the youngest victim in all this, who was eight-year-old Martin Richard, who was standing at the barricade cheering on runners just inches from the finishing line, and we now know inches from the second bomb. So on the face of it, there's an awful lot of evidence against him. So how can the defense fight against that? Well, the answer is to his supporters. Jokar Zarnayev is really the victim of an overbearing elder brother. Because Tamerlan, who died a couple of days after the bombing incident in that shootout with police and was actually apparently, it was certainly reported, was run over in an SUV 
by his younger brother, Jokar. Tamerlan really was the one who was troubled. It wasn't Jokar quite so much. Tamerlan had real trouble integrating into society here. He had very few friends. He, he was married, that is true. I think he had a baby as well. Um, but he had a real tough time assimilating when he came into this country. He also was a, uh, destined to fight for the United States in the Olympics on the boxing team. And then just before he was able to go off and do that, they changed the rules, which meant that he couldn't box in the Olympics for the United States. And he was very, very upset about that. And it was he, I think, who was radicalized, either in Dagestan, part of the North Caucasus, where their mum and dad live, and where he had spent some time, or possibly, I've heard also, in a mosque in Boston. It's possible that he was radicalized in Boston. So the defense is going to, the main argument is going to be that Jokar was heavily influenced by this overbearing, characterful older brother called Tamerlan. And of course, I think, to be fair, the key thing that they're going to try and do and the thing that they will be satisfied with is if they can stop him being put to death, quite frankly. Speaking of uh, family, uh, many people say because of the close quarters in which they were living and constructing some of these bombs yeah. that you know the wife was living there, the mother was uh, living there part of the time, visiting there. Uh, are there. Is it off the table, any charges that could potentially be brought against the mother the wife, or, or any kind of information that has come out regarding the Sarnayev's mother or parents? Well, no one is talking about that. I haven't heard that from any quarter, really. I don't think that's really on the, anyone's agenda. She has moved. She's in New Jersey now. She has started a completely new life with their young child. And so you can still see her around in Jersey from time to time. Occasionally she pops up on you know, the lens of some photographer or a television station. I, I've not heard any talk about prosecuting her, no. I think this, the trial uh, opens and closes with Jokar Zarnayev, but I suppose anything's possible. It rather depends. I mean, certainly I think the federal case, anyway, stops, begins and ends with Jokar. And, uh, and also uh, the um, wife, who is, like you said, in New Jersey now, she, conti- she is still a Muslim and still uh, wears the hijab and things like that, the photos yes, that I Yes, that's right. I mean, she is a convert. I think she's an American citizen who converted to Islam for her husband, Tamerlan, who's the brother who died. And she's really not said very much. And I don't think she hasn't appeared on television very much other than those long lens grabs. And obviously she was interviewed by the authorities and they must have let her go. Um, but you're right. She was there in the apartment where Tamerlan, her husband, and Jokar were concocting those awful bombs. And they were terrible as well, because if you remember, they, were, they bought commercially available pressure cookers, for goodness sake, from some hardware stores, I would say, and then filled them with shards of metal and electrical circuits and things, or whatever it was that made the explosion go off. And, of course, they, they were badly constructed as well, which is why when the bombs first went off, we, nobody was quite sure whether it was an electrical explosion or whether it was a gas explosion. And, like, people weren't too sure whether it was a bomb or not. And it was only after the second one went off, 12 seconds after the first. I think it began to dawn on people that this was Boston's iconic sporting event, one of the great iconic events in the United, the United States calendar, actually under attack. But you know, the prosecution is going to say, look, these guys knew what they were doing. Those bombs, they may have been rudimentary, uh, but they were meant to kill 
and certainly to injure as many people as possible. And, of course, the prosecution is going to say that they were placed very, very close to people, including poor Martin Richard, who's only eight years old and who'd just come back from eating an ice cream with his family when he lost his life. That family has suffered tremendously. Well, they're so, the, I mean, they the sister, all have, the mother, the son is lost. Absolutely. Well, that's one of the extraordinary things, if I may, if I may say, if we have time. I mean, Martin Richard was the youngest to die at eight years old, and then there was Crystal Campbell, who was 29, and Lindsay Liu, who was a student, 23, and then there are more than 260 people who are out there today with some kind of injury as a result of this, varying from scratches to really serious injuries, like. Heather Abbott, who, I mean, this is an extraordinary story. Poor Heather Abbott. She has such a wonderful, wonderful spirit about her. She's such a lovely woman. We met her at her home in Rhode Island. And every year, Heather, it's a tradition for her and her friends. They travel to Boston, they go to the Red Sox game, and then they come out of Fenway and they watch the end of the marathon. And that's exactly what they did, except that two years ago, in 2013, Heather was standing outside where the second bomb went off. She was outside a restaurant. She was right by it, literally right by it. And when it went off, she was catapulted through the air, she says, straight through the door of a restaurant, landed in the middle of the restaurant. People were stampeding over her to get away and to get out. And, you know, she's had her leg amputated. Uh, just, I met her, and I can't remember now, but I think it is, it is, it's above the knee. She had a leg amputated above the knee. But she's got a terrific prosthetic now. It looks so real, I had to say to her, which one is your real leg and which one is your false leg? And she showed me. And she's got such a great spirit about her. So often, these people who are affected by things like this do. And Heather's not the only one either. You know, uh, I'll share this with you. I think I shared it with my listeners before, but I'll, I'll share it with you. I'm I'm from Boston originally. I live in Los Angeles now. Right. And after the bombing, it was really only about a month after the bombing, I was visiting uh, my mom. I was there for something, and we were walking down Boylston Street. I used to work at Lord & Taylor, where the camera is on the corner. Right. And we were walking down, and not only my mom and I, but many other people, whether they were tourists there or like us, whether they were just, you know, people who live in the area walking down the street, were looking for some kind of a makeshift memorial, some kind of a big this is the spot. Right. And instead, it was completely cleaned up, except for one restaurant that said we're renovating due to the bombing on the front of, of uh, you know, some, you know, ply board outside. Mm-hmm. Um, business had gone on as usual. And I was going through a tough time. Uh, in my life at that time, certainly nothing like the people who were victims of that uh, bombing on that day. And my mother turned around and looked at me and she said, do you see this? And I said, see what? She goes, it's not here. We, and she said, we've moved on because we're Bostonians, because we're tough, we're resilient. Nothing will keep us down. We bounce back. We bounce back fast. We bounce back hard. And, you know, we, we turn it around for good. She goes, that's who you are, Leslie Marshall. Yeah. And don't forget it. And, and I, I just look at the people that have survived in the stories just like the one that you told. And, and I have to say, just incredible attitudes, incredible resilience. I heard that there are many victims who don't want to see him, don't want to go in the courtroom because they've moved on. They're getting on with their life. Yes. 
Um, Heather, who I quoted just now, is not one of them. She intends to be there to look this guy in the eye and just to see what he has to say for himself. If he testifies, we don't know. Uh, just to hear the evidence against him. That's what she wants to do, and that's absolutely fine. But you are right. There are other people who literally want nothing to do with it, and they want to move on. And when you go to the scene of both bombings today, there's nothing there at all, even today, almost two years down the road. You have to ask somebody if you want to know exactly where the bomb went off. There's no, you know, there's no discoloring on the pavement. There's no right. plaque. There's, there's nothing. It's absolutely gone. And I think you're right. I think that's part of the city mentality. I mean, hey, listen, Leslie, when you have a police chief in Boston who welcomed us onto his floor with our cameras to do an interview with him, and he gets up and he... This man has run about 45 marathons himself and was running on the day of the, the, the fateful Boston Marathon. And he, he's running at four in the morning every day through the center of Boston to keep his running up. And then he's in the office by 7 a.m. So that's Boston Strong, starting with the police chief right there. No, ab ab absolutely. Do you, do you agree with people that have said this wasn't just an attack on the people, this was a, this was that the city of Boston was a victim of this attack? And the whole country as well. I mean, you know, we uh, have to be very careful because I'm a reporter. I don't have opinions on things. But, I mean, this was, you know, uh, it's, it's, uh, this was a crime that was carried out by two people. We're going to find out soon whether one of them was guilty or not, according to the legal system here. But this was a crime against an iconic sporting event that people in Boston absolutely adore. You know, the Red Sox play every year, the marathon is run every year, and not only that, it happened in one of our major, major cities, arguably the best city, actually, in the country. And of course, I won't disagree with you on that. People as well, you see. So I think, yeah, it was, it, everybody suffered. And I remember watching, and I was one of those who was not sure whether this was an attack at first or whether it was some kind of gas explosion or electric explosion. Of course, the whole awfulness dawned on me within the course of the next couple of minutes. And then, it, if you remember about this thing as well, it didn't stop there. It went on for a whole week with uh, Jokar Zarnayev going back to college and going to a dinner and being with his friends. And then there was the kidnapping of the SUV and the shooting of the MIT cop and then the shootout in Watertown. It, it didn't finish, if you remember, uh, until about I have from memory about 7.30 on the Friday night. No question about it. We're going to have you back on. I really enjoyed having you with us today. You know your stuff, and uh, you're, you're very passionate, and uh, you, sh you called my, uh, my favorite city your favorite city. So. <laughs> I, really, I really love Boston. I mean that. I really do. It's a yeah, I think, I, I think a lot of Brits do. There is some, uh, you know, British influence, and, you know, you can, you, you can get some uh, good fish and chips and malt vinegar there nowhere else in the country. <laughs> Thank you for being with us, John Tarrett, reporter and anchor for Al Jazeera America. Be sure to check them out on Twitter. Follow him at JT4AJAM. Also follow Al Jazeera America at AJAM. Their website is America.AljaZera.com.